0: I do greet you all warmly in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I bring you warm greetings from Frontline Fellowship in Cape Town, South Africa. And the mission fields where we work, the churches that we're in partnership with in Sudan and Zambia and Congo, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, other parts of Africa, would also want me to warmly greet every member of Dominion Covenant Church in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be your partners to be your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be involved in this work together, to be amongst like-minded brethren who have this tremendous Puritan hope, this wonderful eschatology of victory, this absolute rock certain conviction that the earth will be as filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the seas are full of water. The Word of God today speaks to us about the calling to be courageous Christians. But before I can even touch that, I need to address the curse of cowardice, because cowardice is the curse of the church today. Compromise, and by that we mean compromise on principle. Obviously there must be compromise on different things for relationships to work, but we're not talking about the ones where we deal with our personal desires. We're talking about compromise on principle. Compromise on principle, on scripture, and cowardice are the curses of our age And compromise and cowardice hurts everybody concerned. Cowardice is destructive. And cowardice is extremely short-sighted. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, we read a list of people who will be disqualified from God's kingdom and who will be condemned by Almighty God into an eternity in the lake of fire. And at the top of the list is cowards. The top of God's list of candidates for hell are cowards. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The Lord led me early on in our Christian walk to turn to Revelation 21 verse 8 as the beginning point for many an evangelistic message and there's been many a time of counselling with people where I've started on this very point and you go through the list of eight and you say uh, do any of these eight categories affect you and which of us can say that we have never fallen into any of these categories but look at the top of the list the cowardly God says the place for the cowards is a lake burning with fire and sulfur, the second death, and eternity in hell, eternal destruction under the wrath of Almighty God. God does not like cowardice, evidently. And how short-sighted is cowardice? Because cowards are people who are afraid of what people are going to think. They're afraid of what people are going to say. They're afraid of some pain. They're afraid of some discomfort. They're afraid of some ridicule. So what do they do? They anger Almighty God, and I'll spend eternity suffering under His wrath. How short-sighted can anyone be? To fear man and to not fear God is an extremely foolish, destructive, and short-sighted path to take. And yet, our churches are packed full to the ceiling. Our seminaries and our faculties are piled up high with cowards, moral cowards, ethical cowards, spiritual cowards, cowards in the sight of God. The Word of God commands us not to be afraid of any man. That is a command. Do not be afraid of any man. Deuteronomy 1 verse 17. We are warned that the fear of man will prove to be a snare in Proverbs 29 and verse 25. Now I don't know if you know much about snares. I was brought up in Rhodesia, a magnificent country, blessed with some of the most wonderful game reserves and wildlife imaginable. I used to be able to see every kind of animal just walking around outside of my home just a few miles out of town. I could see giraffe and buffalo and wildebeest and zebra. Magnificent. I could go to our park where the children played on my own in primary school and find kudu wandering around in the park in the center of town and feed them. And uh, Even when I was studying at theological college, I used to regularly go up Devil's Peak in Cape Town and i uh, do my set with books and reading out in uh, nature, lying um, on the grass just to get a bit of open air, sunshine. And there would buck around me. And sometimes I'd be resting my head against a buck, a wild buck who just, they got to know me, got to trust me. And I've grown up around animals. And snares are the most wicked and evil way of catching animals. Most of the animals who fall into snares and traps are what the trapper calls trash. They're not even the animals they were after. Of course, a snare is like a landmine. Human or animal, young or old, whether it's the ones they are after or not, they step in there, it's destruction. Death by a snare or by a leg hole trap is a horrible, painful, torturous, horrible death. And the Bible says the fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap. Imagine being caught in this leg hole trap and all you can do by struggling is to rake more of your skin off and get more to the bone and you are absolutely trapped and you, animals try to bite off their own legs to get free. Imagine the conditions you can be in in a snare. The fear of man is a snare. It is a trap. The scriptures tell us of those who would not say anything about Jesus publicly for fear of the people. In John 7 verse 13 we read that there were many people who believed in Jesus but they wouldn't speak up for Jesus Because they were afraid of the masses, of public opinion, of peer pressure. And they didn't even have the polls and CNN and the uh, ratings and all that they have around here to intimidate us these days and to bludgeon us with and say, all right-thinking people agree and everyone says and believes and so on. And, well, I don't want to be against everyone. And so we often are intimidated to silence. Imagine that. Imagine these people who one day will stand before Almighty God on the day of judgment. Why did you not speak up for me? I was afraid of what the people would say. And where are those people today? Now they've already gone ahead of you into hell and you're about to join them. What a mindless excuse. Can you imagine? I was afraid of what the people would say. So I'm going to end up spending eternity in hell with them. And that's What so many millions of people have written on the epitaphs for all eternity. They were afraid of men. In John 12, verse 42 to 43, we read, Even among the rulers, many believed in him, believed in Jesus. Many. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Imagine that. Imagine people who are so afraid of the praise of men. That's what they're after. They forget about the praise of God. They were more afraid of the praise of men. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. How absolutely tragic. Even the Apostle Peter who normally was so bold and who was so brave and normally the first one to stand up, to speak out, to, to be courageous. He gave in to compromise and cowardice once. When he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. You read about this in Galatians 2. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, the Apostle Paul rebuked them sharply. Imagine. Hypocrisy. Cowardice. Why? Because they feared those who were of the circumcision group. The Pharisees and, and their ill. And no doubt, those people could be very intimidating and no doubt they could be quite mean and they could be harsh and they could be ruthless and they could be brutal and they could engage in character assassination and you could be put out from the synagogue. You could be disgraced. You could be cut off from God's people. A lot of intimidation. But what is that compared to being cut off from Almighty God for all eternity in hell? That is why cowardice is so short-sighted. It is so stupid to be concerned about what people think and The teenagers in particular are tyrannized by peer pressure, absolutely bludgeoned into submission and into conformity, that they must be different like everyone else. (laughs) And you must wear the same type of designer clothes, and you've got to wear the same types of sneakers, and you've got to have the same name brands, and you've got to have the same kind of ridiculous hairstyles that take such an enormous amount of time to prepare. And you must have the same nose piercings and eyebrow piercings and tattoos. And you've got to listen to the same music even if you don't like it. And you've just got to submit, submit, submit. Why? Because of peer pressure. And it can be brutal. And it can intimidate. And you must conform. You must be different like everyone else. And what is going to happen? Why are we so afraid? What are we so afraid of? I mean, it's often... Necessary to write out what you're afraid of. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of disapproval. We're afraid of unpopularity. We're afraid of being embarrassed. We're afraid of being ridiculed. Do you know that according to polls in America, the number one fear of people in America, apparently according to all the polls, is fear of public speaking. It even supersedes fear of death, injury and accident which if these polls are to be believed means at the average funeral most people would prefer to be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. (laughs) I mean if the polls are to be believed. But why are people afraid of public speaking? They're afraid of embarrassment, of failure, of ridicule, of someone in the audience knowing more about the subject than they do, Uh, fear of making a fool of themselves, fear of mistakes. There's so many different fears that come. Some are rational, most irrational. We are afraid of being misunderstood. We're afraid of being lied about. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of suffering. We're afraid of pain, of death. We're afraid of loss and sacrifice. And when we give in to these fears, we can all too easily be led astray. And fear leads us to stay seated when we should stand up and to stand still when we should step out and to keep quiet when we should speak up to be passive and inactive when we should stand up and fight for what is right I remember when I first went to the army I was told to make a stand for Christ early on by an old saint who'd been a missionary for 50 years and he said to me when you get to the army, make your stand early. that they know where you stand. Don't delay. Don't let people discover a few weeks in that you're a Christian. Let them know the first day or it'll be harder for you. And that, that was so true. I saw some men who only let be known weeks in that they were Christians and the rest would... You laughed at our jokes. You were, and they just mercilessly persecuted him till he just gave and became one of them. But those of us who made a stand early, it was easier for us. And I remember right at the first meal, I was told, one way you can always tell who the Christians are, they give thanks before the meal, so be sure to uh, clearly bow your head and close your eyes and pray over your food before your first meal in the army and it'll help other Christians identify you and so on. So I did and as I lifted my eyes everyone around was laughing and then I saw why my meat was missing and so I discovered what the Lord meant by watch and pray. (laughs) And in future, I had to I'd put the fork in <laughs> and <laughs> learned that you had, to, you had to pray in such a way that you were protecting your assets. <laughs> but at the first chaplain's period, I felt extremely nervous about standing up in front of 500 men in the hall um, who were there in my company. But I asked the chaplain for the permission to do so, and I stood up trembling and in fear, but I said, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart and I want to honour him in my next two years here. If there's anyone who'd like to join me for a commitment to pray every night, please see me afterwards. And that's where our Mission Frontline Fellowship began. In a prayer fellowship, met together first three of us and then four and eight and grew till 80 on the last night of our two years in the military. Uh, our mission grew out of this prayer fellowship. And if I had stayed seated and stayed quiet, I don't know where things would have gone. But, but that was the step God asked me to make at that time. And it was the right move. I shouldn't say ask. God doesn't ask. He tells us. <laughs> we should not be afraid of what man's going to think. And I'm sure there were a bunch of sniggering. But so what? I can't even remember their faces, let alone their names. The ones who sniggered and sneered and made their different comments. And where are they today anyway? We mustn't be silent when we need to stand up. Selfish desires for fear and for fame and for fortune and for health and wealth, comfort and ease and safety and security. All of these things too often seduce us into choosing the way of least resistance. Going with the flow. You notice fish who go with the flow are normally dead and being washed downstream. Following the crowd. Compromising our principles, stifling the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit, disobeying the Bible and dishonouring God. That is the result of fear. In Isaiah 51 and verse 12 we read, Who are you that you should be afraid of man who will die, and of a son of man who will be made like the grass? You forget the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid out the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. And where is the fury of the oppressor? But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waters roar. The Lord of hosts is His name and I have put my words in your mouth. That's Isaiah 51. Who are we that we should be afraid of man? Man is like the grass. Are you afraid of the grass? Maybe you walked on some grass to get to the car or to come here today. Is it reasonable to be afraid of the grass? Yet man is like the flower of the field. We flourish for better season and then we are gone as far as the earth is concerned. I've met or seen quite a lot of heads of state, surprisingly. One of the men that I respect Greatly, one of the few politicians I've ever met who uh, I can say I'm proud to have met and proud to have shaken his hand is Mr. Ian Smith, the Prime Minister of Rhodesia. He's one of the few politicians that I can say is a man of his word. He said what he meant, he meant what he said, he followed through, he's courageous. He was a man of principle, not a politician at all, a statesman. And I get to see him regularly and, and had meal with him just recently as well. Uh, at least once a year over the last 20 years, I've been able to meet Ian Smith, and I even saw him when I was a young boy of 14. In Rhodesia, he was the most powerful man in our country. He's been out of power for many years, but he still, he still stands firm. Fought in the Second World War. Shot down twice behind enemy lines even. Half his face plastic surgery. Fought behind the lines in northern Italy for five months as a partisan, a guerrilla. Uh, walked over the Alps um, barefoot after a time because his boots froze up and he had them off at night. He couldn't get his feet back in his frozen boots. And uh, a courageous man. But he is no longer in power. Other men I've seen, Prime Minister B.J. Foster, he was the most powerful man in our country in the 70s and when he became our president as well. And P.W. Botha, met with him, spoke with him. F.W. de Klerk, Nelson Mandela. I've met with these heads of our country. They were the most powerful men in their time. I've seen Ronald Reagan and heard him speak in Washington at an NRB conference. He walked us close by. Uh, as it was possible, I was at the fourth row he came right past, heard his speech the most powerful man in the world at that time but he's with the Lord now saw George Bush Sr. at a similar meeting I've seen Samora Michel, the dictator of Mozambique who cursed God and challenged God to prove his existence by striking him dead, which happened 40 days later <laughs> and Samora Michel, other heads of state in Africa met quite a few of them even this year. But you know the funny thing, just about all of them are gone now, out of power, no longer had so much power. At the time, they were the most powerful men in their country, or even in the world, in the case of the American presence. But they come and they go, amazingly fast. And yet the people who cow-touch them, who grovel, who compromise their principles, who sell out their faith even, in order to carry favor with people who probably don't even know they exist, or forget about them, who are we that we fear princes and don't fear God who can destroy both body and hell, body and soul in hell forever? Jesus said, do not fear man who can only kill a body and after that you can do nothing else. Fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. People pleasers make traitors. If we want to win friends and influence people, if we want to be popular, we will be a traitor to the cause of Christ. All too many Christians think they're called... To win friends and influence people, to be a nice guy. But if I'm going to be a nice guy and if I'm going to be a person that everyone thinks is a great person, then I'm going to be a traitor to the cause of Christ. God does not call us to be popular. God does not call us to pander to peer pressure. God does not call us to sway to the tyranny of the mob. Do not follow the crowd. We are commanded. Open rebuke is better than love concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. There are legitimate fears, let me say. God has put certain fears within us, which caution us, which sharpen our senses, which warn us of dangers, of pain, of crippling injury and death. Those are reasonable fears. There are reasonable fears which are either for ourselves or for others that are put there by God to preserve life and limb, to keep us from extreme recklessness, to keep us from walking too close to the edge of a cliff. Driving too fast in dangerous conditions. Warning our children of reckless behavior. And myself having two sons, I've got to definitely exercise some cautions because they can be extremely reckless and I don't have to look too far as to who's responsible for some of these behavior patterns. Running on the roof and going out and doing all kinds of reckless things with their bicycles and with weaponry and with animals, and so on. And uh, I've got to warn my children regularly, and and everything from warning your children to wear helmets on bicycles, and to observe traffic signs, and to keep to speed limits, and to reduce speed when visibility is impaired, and if the road is wet, uh, and your brakes are going to take longer to uh, take effect. These are wise responses to legitimate fear. Love of life, love of family, love of your children, it's God-given. And there are certain fears that are perfectly natural and which are not there uh, to paralyze us, but in order to prolong our life and liberty. And those kind of legitimate cautions uh, or fears are God-given, but never at any price. That is the key thing, never at any price. I've done mountain climbing, and I must say, you've got to have your senses sharp and alert when you're doing mountain climbing. One slip, and you can be hundreds of meters down. Cliff, you have to know what you're doing. And that adrenaline, that that rush of energy and focus and that legitimate fear is perfectly natural and essential that you come out of it alive. Skydiving, I remember the first time I stood in the open doorway and everything in me said, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) What was I thinking? Volunteering for this. And then the boots in my back and tumbling head over heels out the plane. Um, That's what sergeant majors are there for. When the guy hesitates in the doorway, whack. And out he goes. (laughs) Sometimes we've been in areas where uh, there are all kinds of uh, dangers, landmines and so on. And if you're walking in an area where there's landmines, you've got to be extremely alert. And uh, that is where fear comes in to save our life. But it's never at any price. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the determination to do our duty in spite of our fear. Courage is a determination to do what's right in spite of our fear. Fear is God-given. In fact, if a person feels no fear, there's no courage. Because courage is overcoming your fear. I don't know if you know Rudyard Kipling's great poem, If. I was brought up in Rhodesia with old-style British public education. And I remember in what would be your grade 8, getting uh, this as a memorization task. If you can keep your head while all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself and all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, not deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet not look too good nor sound too wise. If you can dream and yet not make dreams your master if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph or disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the thing you gave your life to broken and stoop to build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it all on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose, and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart, and nerve, and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone. If you can hold on when there's nothing in you except the will that says to them, hold on. If you can talk to crowds, and keep your virtue, and walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son. That's Rudyard Kipling's analysis of what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the determination to do our duty in spite of our fear. Some rational, God-given sense of caution can protect us and protect our loved ones and prolong life. But if fear paralyzes us into inactivity, into neutrality, into compromise, into defeat, into disobedience, then that fear is evil. I think of Daniel standing alone, an exile, far away from home, in a foreign land, intimidated, a prisoner effectively of the greatest empire the world at that time knew. There he is in the superpower of the age under a total tyrant, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold in Daniel's vision. The autocracy whose word was law and he could stand before him and proclaim God's word and God's truth without compromise. I think of Joseph, even though he is one of the youngest of his brothers, even though he is scorned and misunderstood and he dreamed but he did not make dreams his master. And he was able to talk with kings, but he didn't lose the common touch. Joseph, one of the most courageous men in history. Joseph and Daniel stand out as two of the most exemplary characters in the Old Testament. Not one major flaw recorded in Scripture of those two men. Extraordinary characters. Not saying they didn't have flaws, but it's not recorded in Scripture, so they couldn't have been too significant. Courageous. If you can meet with triumph or disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, Napoleon Bonaparte said a good general should not be unduly elated by victory or depressed by defeat. Now what do you mean? If you've won a great victory, this is not the time to start patting yourself on the back, having a victory celebration and getting all excited about it because the enemy is about to organise a counterattack, Your troops are dissipated celebrating a the victory. They're busy dividing up the loot and so on. You're vulnerable to a counterattack. When you've won a victory this is not the time to start celebrating. It's the time to to consolidate, pre-position, prepare for the counterattack. There will be a counterattack. Will you be ready? Don't get unduly elated by victory, and don't be too depressed by defeat. Because when you've just been defeated, the enemy is vulnerable to a counterattack too. It's a brilliant time to regather your forces, to reorganise, and you can surprise them often with a counterattack after you've just had a defeat. There's many reasons why we should not be too unduly elated by victory or depressed by defeat. If we can bear to hear the truth, we've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. This is what we're often so afraid of. We're afraid of being misunderstood. We're afraid of being lied about. We're afraid of disapproval and disgrace in the eyes of man. But we should be more concerned about hearing that well done, good and faithful servant, from the mouth of the only one who really counts. There's only one vote that really counts at the end of the day. It's a vote that will be cast. It's the assessment that will be given by the only one who really matters, the Creator, the Eternal God, the Eternal Judge, the only Redeemer and Saviour of the world. His word is all that really matters. I mean, who cares what this poll says or that president says or whoever you want to mention. doesn't matter who it is. Their opinion next to God's, depart from me, cursed into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, or enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Those are the only words that count from the only person who really counts at the end of the day. I think of David Livingston and I think of courage, a person who could lose everything, absolutely everything and start again at his beginnings. He lost his wife in his Zimbabwe expedition. His Zimbabwe expedition was a catastrophe. Everything about his second missionary journey was just a disaster and David Livingston didn't breathe a word about it. He just reorganised, went out on his third great missionary journey and he rebuilt again. You think of William Carey, the great missionary pioneer to India. The great fire of 1812. Everything destroyed. His print shop. His translations. Work of years and years and no records, no backups. Everything destroyed in this fire. Absolute disaster. And many, many uh, members of his mission team died, even of his own family, in that year. Horrible year. But he rebuilt. He started again. He set a road Travel the second time is often done with greater ease. The translations I did couldn't have been good enough. We're going to do better ones next time. He started again. You think of Adonai Judson who forced his heart and nerve and sinew to serve their turn long after they're gone. Tortured in death prison for 18 months in Burma, America's first foreign missionary. What he went through and survived in Colonel Jan Breitenbach's book Forged in Battle. Here's South Africa's premier special forces soldier, Colonel Breitenbach who served in our mission for some years as well. He is a founder of South Africa's special forces, founder of our 3-2 battalion, uh, one of the leading, most combat decorated soldiers in our history. 65 battles he's been in. Uh, I don't think they've got a uniform with enough space for all the medals this man has. And Colonel Breitenbach wrote in his book Forged in Battle that there's two kinds of courage. There's physical courage and there is moral courage. And he says the two are not the same and not everyone uh, who's got the one has got the other. So physical courage is ability to put yourself in danger in order to do your job, for example, in a military or fire brigade or police or some other uh, of these essential services. That there is a physical courage. And sometimes what you could think of as courageous is because they were forced to and they had no choice. If you, for example, behind an antel, antels can take a lot of punishment. They're very strong. They're almost like concrete. But as it's being whittled down by the machine gun fire and it's getting low and low and your your cover's being being reduced or they're outflanking and manoeuvring you and soon you won't have any cover and you break cover to charge your enemy, it's a courageous action. But it's one that you had no choice about, really. You could stay where you are and get killed Or you can do something bold and brave and you might survive. So that kind of courage is the kind of courage that you had to do because you you had no choice. But then there's the other kind of physical courage where a man who doesn't have to breaks cover, as I have seen some do, and risks their life to save some civilian who there was no need for them to specifically do it, caught in a crossfire of some conflict. And often no one to even see it. There's all kinds of courage that is done that shows great physical courage people who run into a burning building, the people, uh, the firemen and police from Iran, into World Trade Centre on that September 11th and saved lives. That's physical courage. But then Colonel Breitmark says there's another kind of courage, is moral courage. It's the courage of the person who can stand up to the boss or the general or to the government or to whatever and say, that's wrong. Like Nathan standing before the king and saying, you're the man. Moral courage. To do what's unpopular and dangerous, that is another kind of courage. And we don't all have that. One of the men that I've met who I respect and honor is Dr. Ian Paisley in Northern Ireland. Now he's got to be one of the most hated men in Europe, one of the most slandered men in Europe. And yet he's got some of the most Bible-believing, fiery evangelistic prayer warriors I've ever come across. His churches are the fastest growing, biggest churches in Northern Ireland. The man is winning people to Christ. His congregation is made up of an enormous amount of Catholics who have been won to Christ through Ian Paisley. And yet, i would never heard one good word about Ian Paisley before I went to Northern Ireland. Not one. i would heard what a horrible, vicious, nasty, anti-Catholic he was and how he caused violence and how the man is... is you know, everything was just horrible, horrible, horrible. And I actually never read a good thing about Northern Ireland before I went to Northern Ireland either. But why should I have been surprised? I don't think much good was said about my country, South Africa, either back when we were a dedicated Christian country on the front line of the battle for faith and freedom, resisting communism in the Cold War and fighting for our lives on the border against the Cubans and the Russians and the East Germans. Your newspapers didn't have a good word to say about us back then either and they lied about us then, so... Why should I be surprised when I go to Northern Ireland to find that the true Christians in Northern Ireland have been lied about as well? Well, I've found dedication, fiery fervour, zeal, winning people to Christ. Ian Paisley, even though he's a member of Parliament for Northern Ireland and a member of the European Parliament for 25 years, the man who stood up in the European Parliament and lifted up the sign, the Pope is Antichrist, uh, when Pope John Paul came to speak at the European Parliament, a man who's had the courage to stand up and challenge the British government when they were wrong, when they were selling out Northern Ireland to terrorists, when they were selling out Rhodesia to terrorists, he stood up, he spoke out. And he's paid the price because he's lied about, he's slandered, he's misunderstood. But does the man care? No, he does not. He doesn't fear man, he fears God. And so he's freed from the fear of man. It was a wonderful experience to join their church and get involved in a prayer meeting till early hours of the morning to Join him on the streets as he preaches the gospel every week in the marketplace out there in front of City Hall downtown. It's amazing. Some of the most hated people in the world are people whom God is going to say to on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And a lot of the most popular people in the world today are going to be told, depart from me, cursing the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-control. The prevailing Arminian, antinomian, egalitarian, sinner-friendly, willow creek, prayer of jabez, self-centered, superficial, sensational, materialistic, cheap grace and easy believism. It produces wets, wimps and weeds. It's gutless, it's spineless, it's yellow-bellied. And that is a prevailing form of faith that we see in all too many churches today and I call them even jellyfish. <laughs> Filleted of spine. They have, they have a back problem. It's yellow all the way down. We are not called to be popular. We are called to be faithful. The Great Commission is not about how to win friends and influence people. It's about how to win souls to Christ and make disciples of all nations teaching obedience to all things that the Lord has commanded. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood before Nebuchadnezzar and said, our God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow before your idols, nor will we serve your God. That's the spirit of Christians. That's what we need today. Our God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow before your idols, nor will we serve the UN or the New World Order or the sinner-friendly prayer of Jabez crowd. We are not interested. It can go to hell. That's where it came from in the first place. We're going to be faithful to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what it costs. We are called to submit to God to resist the devil and he will flee from us. If the devil is not fleeing from us, it's either because we're not submitting to God or we're not resisting the devil or both. We need to have the courage of David and Daniel. David said to Goliath, you come with your spear, your shield and your javelin. I come in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you have defied. David took his sling. He didn't put his trust in the sling, but he took his sling and he won. You think of Peter and Paul. Peter standing before the Sanhedrin had, had crucified Christ. and saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. We must obey God rather than men. You choose whether it's more seemingly to obey you rather than God. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We must obey God rather than man. We are called to overcome the world. Because greater is he who is in you than him who is in the world. The will of God will never lead you, but the grace of God cannot keep you. God gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. If you want the best, leave the choice to God. If you want your will, don't be surprised if you find out it's not particularly even good. Because God will protect us from making disastrous choices. God gives the best to those who leave the choice to Him. Where God guides, He provides. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but be of good courage for I have overcome the world. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Do you know the safest place in the world? The safest place in the world is in the sense of God's will. I remember in the early days of my Christian walk when all South African young men had to go through the army, a lot of people were terrified of their sons going to the army. We had conscription of course. Two years of compulsory service followed by ten years where you could be called up for one to three months a year for ten years. And many South African families moved overseas. I remember meeting some of those families in South Carolina, all over the place. Uh, they had moved there so that their son, who was just leaving school, would not do army service in South Africa. And they thought that they were saving their son from danger. And I remember one family in particular whose son would have been the same age as me, would have gone the same intake. And when I visited them, lo and behold, their son had killed himself and injured his daughter, wrapping himself around a tree, uh, driving, of course you can get your driver's license early in America, in we can South Africa, and drunken driving uh, there, not even 18 years old, he had wiped himself out and badly injured his sister. There, the parents thought they were keeping him from danger, serving in a South African army. And he comes to America, and where could you be safer than South Carolina? But he is dead before I'd even finished my basic training. Myself, well, I've been bombed and imprisoned and ambushed a few times, but the fact is I'm still here because the safest place in the world is in the sense of God's will. Some people took what they thought was the safer route, and where are they today? And others of us almost caught a danger, and we discovered that God is our strength and our shield, our fortress. We need to be like the German reformer Martin Luther who could stand before the center of all the power of Europe. He could stand in front of the assembled might of Europe and he could say before the emperor, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. The Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli said they may kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will neither leave you nor forsake you. We read in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. God commanded Joshua to be strong and of good courage. To be strong and to be very courageous. He re-emphasized, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why did the Lord keep repeating this command over and over in Joshua 1? Because it's natural, it's human, it's part of our depraved nature that we would give in to fear and dismay and disillusionment and cowardice and our knees turn jelly. And yes, it's natural, but we can overcome it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for there are many more who are with us. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. We read in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7 to 8. I remember these passages, God helped guide me on my very first mission across the border to Mozambique. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. Here I was, a white South African, being called to go into communist Mozambique, a black country run by communists, when our country was at war with them. And my complexion would kind of give me away that I wasn't a local, that I, I didn't quite fit in. And we were at war with them. They were bombing us and we were bombing them. And Mozambique and South Africa were at one another's throats in the 1980s. And there was a 1982 about to cross the border from neighbouring Swaziland, a neutral country, into Mozambique on a motorbike with a Jesus film, New Testaments and Portuguese. And, and I was trembling the thought of what I was about to enter into. The possibility of capture, the possibility of torture, all sorts of things went through my mind. And as we started our reading that day in Joshua 1, it just came, wham, wham. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. And those verses are in the Constitution of Frontline Fellowship. It's part of our marching orders. It's part of what God called us to do right from the very beginning. Some like to live within sound of church or chapel bell. I would like to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd, that's great missionary from England, the cricketer turned pioneer, missionary who went to China, went to India, went to Africa. He said, it's better to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In Philippians 1 verse 27 we read, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that you stand steadfast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God, but to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Our conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Christ, and part of that is Christian courage. When we show courage in the face of adversity, and face of defeat, it proves to the others that they're going to lose. It shows them where the victory is. We need to be courageous even in the face of crippling, overwhelming defeat. Sometimes, You can win the battle. You can win the war by losing the battle. I was brought up in Rhodesia, not too far from the Shangani River. Back in 1893, Alan Wilson, during the Matabele War, rode out with 33 men and crossed the Shangani River. But that night, heavy rains, further upland, caused the river to swell and flood so that further reinforcements couldn't come. He was just the advance patrol, the scout. And they met the main body of the Mudabili infantry. Now the Mudabili, they were Zulus who had moved up country to escape from the anger of Dingon. And uh, they were dominating Rhodesia. They had dominated the entire area. They had enslaved Shona. Uh, they were brutal. Uh, they laid waste to and massacred whole nations. Uh, the Mudabili and the Zulu were the most violent uh, nations Africa had ever seen. And they were unbeatable warriors. And here are these 33 Rhodesian scouts under Alan Wilson suddenly met with the main body of the Madibili, and they were surrounded. And they couldn't escape and they couldn't be reinforced because the Shangani River had overflowed its banks and it was swollen in in torrential flood. And so they fought. And they fought all day. And at the end of hours and hours of fighting, when over half of all the men were dead, the fighting ceased. The Nduna, one of the chiefs of Lubangula, came forward and saluted them and said, our king salutes you, you are brave men. You have fought well, you may go. You may take your wounded, your dead, your horses, your weapons. And they parted and they, they allowed them to, to leave. Extraordinary. Alan Wilson said, white men do not retreat. So they saluted again and they fought to the end. And the Billy reported that they sang, and they, uh, later some of them who were converted re- recognized, they sang the Lord's Prayer, was one of the last things they sang. They fought to the end, they ran out of ammunition, they fought with their bayonets and their knives and they fought to the last men. Everyone on that patrol, in fact all 34 of them, died at the banks of the Shangani River. And you would have thought that that defeat would have led to more catastrophes but in fact that was the last battle of the war. The entire Madabili army came into Bulaway and surrendered. And when Jamison questioned them and said, but you just won a victory, you just defeated our men. Why are you surrendering? They said, if these young boys could fight like lions, what will happen when their fathers come for revenge? We want peace now. <laughs> and this is a true story. It's one case of a war that was won by a defeat. We do not know what the end result will be, but how many lives are saved by those men's courage? They could have taken the way, way out. Who could have said that they had done all their duty? They'd fought... So well and hard, when they were told to retreat, they could have taken it, but they didn't. It almost sounds insane that they did not. But they fought to the end, and they won the war by losing the battle. Because their courage showed the others who had salvation. These men had rock-solid conviction of eternal life in Christ. They fought to the end, and the Mother came to Christ by the tens of thousands. Now, up to that point, Robert Moffat had sought to evangelize the Mother for decades. And there wasn't one convert amongst the Madhubili. Not one. But from the defeat right then at the Shangani patrol, that's when you start to catalogue the conversion of the Madhubili. The Madabili came to Christ by the tens and the hundreds of thousands. And today, the vast majority of the Madabili are Christians. I could give a similar story for the Zulu. There was an American missionary working for 20 years amongst the Zulu. Not one convert. Not one to show for it. Until the Zulus were defeated at the Battle of Blood River. And the power of the in Dunas, and the ancestors and the witch doctors were shown to be less powerful than the god of the Christians. And the Boers who had suffered so badly at the hands of the Zulu, hundreds of men and women had been slaughtered, over 500 of them in cold blood, in the most brutal ways on the banks of the uh, river, um, at Moy River and uh, at a place called Viennan, which means weeping in Afrikaans. Massive destruction, horrible slaughter and mutilations by the Zulu. And so the Boers put together and force, and they went there, Battle of Blood River. Some of you might know the book, The Covenants, and know something about that. And They made a covenant with Almighty God, and when they defeated the Zulu, they went and they built a mission station at the site where the people had been massacred, and a school for the blind, and a school for evangelists. And they start a hospital, and they start to minister to the Zulus, who treated them so cruelly. And the Zulus came to Christ, and today they're one of the most powerful Christian nations in Africa. Millions and millions of Zulus are saved now, but not one before that defeat. And sometimes it is so that people need to be defeated militarily to show where the power is so that they're broken in the idols, so that they can be open to salvation in Christ. And this has happened in many cases. Our conduct must be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We need to be steadfast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by adversaries. And this will be a proof to them of their perdition. And it will be proof to us of salvation and that of God. For to us it has been given to us not only to believe in Christ but also to suffer for Christ. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. It is an honour if Christ calls on us to suffer. If God gives us a hard assignment, a tough assignment, if God gives us a rough deal, it's a privilege. Generals do not give hard assignments to soldiers they do not trust. They give the toughest assignments to the ones they can trust. It may be a hard assignment but it's necessary. We need to have the Spirit of General Stonewall Jackson, who said, I am as safe in battle as I am in bed. He understood the sovereignty of God. As General Jackson said, duty is ours. The results are God's. Mm -hmm. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste in noonday. For he shall give his angels charge of you, to keep you in all your ways. Psalm 91, I remember reading that just before we were bombed at a church service on Sunday morning in Sudan. And Psalm 27, the last verse I read before being thrown to prison in Zambia. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. I will not be afraid of the tens of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. We read in Psalm 3, verse 6. I called on the Lord in my distress, and He answered me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is better to trust the Lord than to put your confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Our Lord Jesus taught that we should never fear man who can only destroy the body, and after that He can do nothing else. But Jesus said, you must fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. The fear of the Lord frees us from the fear of man. The reverential awe and respect and fear of God is liberating. Those who fear the Lord are wise because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Those who fear man are foolish. To fear man is tyranny. Man is a tyrant and man's opinions are tyrannical and the burden that people put upon you and the burden of peer pressure is crushing. But the fear of the Lord is light. His yoke is easy. The fear of the Lord is liberating. Give up your small ambitions and follow Jesus. There is a prayer that I have prayed many times through my Christian walk. I don't know where I got it from but it was a prayer I came across in my early Christian walk and I'd like to conclude with it because this is the prayer of freedom if you pray with me let us pray this prayer of freedom together Lord Jesus meek and humble of heart hear us deliver us Lord Jesus from the desire of being esteemed from the desire of being loved from the desire of being extolled from the desire of being honoured from the desire of being praised From the desire of being preferred to others. From the desire of being consulted. From the desire of being approved. Lord Jesus, deliver us from the fear of being humiliated. From the fear of being despised. From the fear of suffering rebuke. And from the fear of being forgotten. From the fear of being wronged and the fear of being suspected. Lord Jesus, grant me the grace to desire that others might be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Amen.